2: Bombus, big comfort for everyone.
0: Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
1: Here we are again, friends. Easter has come and gone. Cambridge Analytica has blown up the world of Facebook. And lots of people have been celebrating the birth of another royal baby. Many things can happen in just a month's time, and sometimes it's hard not to feel the pull of the daily grind getting us down. But don't you worry, this month's episode of Signal is a little bit different. We're going to be looking at the idea of pilgrimage and rest through two exclusive interviews, which I have arranged for you. No friends in the studio, just a quiet place for you to hear a couple of interviews. So don't worry, sit back, get your podcast headphones adjusted nicely and get ready to enjoy this month's episode of Signal from the MediaNet. friends, yep, it's April 2018. I'm your host, James Poulter, and you're listening to Signal, the podcast from the Medianet. And as I say, a little bit of a different episode this month. No friends in the studio, no Sam, no Ruth, no anyone else really, but just a couple of great guests to talk about this idea of rest. And what better way to kick the show off than to be my interview with Kate Botley, Reverend Kate Botley, many of you will know from Gogglebox, good morning sunday songs of praise and pause for thought on radio 2 but most recently she's been doing a new program as part of something called pilgrimage on the bbc i caught up with her just a couple of days ago to talk about what she experienced on the show that interview coming up on the podcast in just a moment And later on in the show, I'll be bringing you my interview with Dr. John Kessler, particularly his most recent book, The Radical Pursuit of Rest. This whole idea of what it looks like to pursue rest radically, not that we should just go up and retreat on a mountainside, but the idea of rest itself is a radical concept in our 21st century lives, and particularly for those of us working in and around the media, I'm sure you can sympathise with that idea. But first, my interview with the Reverend Kate Botley. Many of you will know her from when she shot to fame in Channel 4's Gogglebox. Her and her husband and their dog regularly watching all the shows that we love to hate on the telly alongside with us. But since then, has gone on to do many other areas of broadcasting, particularly on Radio 2's Pause for Thoughts, Her new Sunday show on Radio 2 as well, Good Morning Sunday. And I caught up with Kate a couple of weeks ago to talk about her most recent programme, The Pilgrimage, on BBC. BBC2 seeing a collection of celebrities from across the spiritual background go on a search for enlightenment as they took a walking tour on the route to Santiago and I started off by asking Kate, well how does she introduce herself these days?
0: So I usually say hello, my name is Reverend Kate Botley, I am a priest in North Nottinghamshire, but that's probably not where you know me from.
1: <laughs> that's probably not where we know you from, but we do know you from a lot of places nowadays, um, pr- predominantly your, your show now on BBC Radio 2 which is very exciting and has uh, been a big success for the past couple of weeks on Good Morning Sunday. Uh, how has it been getting up even earlier on a Sunday morning than, than you used to do? Uh,
0: I mean, the thing is about what I'm doing now is it, it seems to me it's just an extension of, parish priestly ministry it's just my parish is a little bit bigger these days that's all it's just a different scale um and all the same challenges that you have in a parish context i have in my current parish which is um we also call it an unlikely pulpit sometimes so i don't see this as any um different to anything other than my central calling when I was called to the priesthood, uh, back in 2007, it's, it's just a, an extension of that. Um, and it, it fits really well. You know, it, it's like God's gone, Oh, you're a show off. Oh, okay. Come this way. Well, have you, you know? So, and I think that's, what's brilliant is that, um, you know, this, this, obviously I'm, <laughs> you know, a desperate egotistical maniac and a complete show off. Um, but I love it. I love being the center of I love what I do now. I love being on the radio. I love being on the telly. I love talking to people. Um, But God uses the best and the worst of us for his kingdom, which is just fantastic, isn't it? Because you know, when I when I was little, you know, one of the things that was said to me was, Oh, Katie, you're a dreadful show off. Like it was a bad thing. And God's really interested in those things that other people might think are not good things about us. Um and how we can, how we might use them. So it's really exciting and it feels really natural and really normal <laughs> and just what I do for a living, really.
1: And and in between kind of being on the radio and on the telly, you are also just you know a vicar and without kind of doing that down because it's such a high calling in the first place but yeah it is something yeah do you see your kind of parish has expanded <laughs> a lot
0: so i so i'm an associate minister at my local church now which means that i have a license to preside and preach and do funerals and do all that sort of stuff but i'm not i'm not in charge of a church anymore so i'm not formally what we would call a vicar um you know so i don't do the hr i don't do the buildings i don't do the finances i don't have to go to deanery synod meetings or PC. I get to do all the best bits which is just amazing and fantastic and my church family are really supportive and really kind of get really excited when they see me on the telly because you know that is, gives them bragging rights doesn't it which is great and lovely um, and, but, but I thought when I left full time parish ministry one of the things I would really miss would be um, doing communion you know presiding at the table because that was a big part of my calling my priestly identity was about distributing communion and actually we um, What surprised me is that I have found communion in other ways. So every encounter, you know, so for example, on Monday I was at Alton Towers, with my family and um, as always happens people recognise you they come over for a chat all that sort of stuff this guy came over shook my hand and said just need to introduce myself thank you so much for your pilgrimage programme I really loved it and they said that phrase that I love I'm not religious but which is my absolutely favourite sentence that comes out of anyone's mouth I'm not religious but I really like your Sunday morning show I really like what you're doing on tele. keep up you know and that was a communion of sorts because that was a connection with another human being and a communion with God as well and so there's just Uh, you know a hundred moments like that in a week where you go oh yeah that's why i'm not missed that's not why i'm not missing presiding at the table because i'm presiding at a different sort of table um and you know it, it it it's, I don't expect it to be understood completely because it's real pioneering stuff, this. You know, I'm, the Church of England's always a healthy 50, 40 years behind everybody else. But we're just starting to think about how we might do ministry in the marketplace that is media for vicars, for ordained people. You know, I mean, Christians has been in the media for years and years and years and so have some clergy. But to be doing popular culture stuff, to be doing, you know, reality TV and things like that is I think is really interesting
1: so yeah as you've moved into this kind of world obviously it's not been kind of an an overnight thing there's been a, a lot of stuff going on for a number of years now particularly and most famously I suppose from the starting back in in Gogglebox just tell us a little bit about how that originally started and and yeah kind of what that journey was like as you went through the show up until now
0: Okay so I have always done bits and bobs of TV and radio ever since I was little. So I think I, my first ever paid piece of work was for Radio 4 when I was about 12. Um, and I was a regional voice on some play in the afternoon or something, you know. So I used to do I used to do stuff like that when I was little and I went to a the, I went to a theater group when I was when I was a teenager. Um, and loved it. Loved all that, you know. Um, but when I got 16 like lots of people, you know, you, you kind of start thinking well I don't really want to I'd I love to go into like theatre and drama and stuff but I don't want to wait on tables either between parts so I'll, I'll sort of park that to one side and the good working class girl that I am I expected to get a proper job and I ended up being a vicar so it's not quite what I had in mind really but um, it, it's uh, it, <laughs> it's uh, so, I did, so I did that bits and bobs of theatre, bits and bobs of telly bits and bobs of radio and then parked it at about the age of 16, 17 uh, and never really did anything else with it and then um, Um, When I got my curacy, um, the uh, vicar's wife worked for BBC Radio Nottingham. So I would start to do little bits and bobs on BBC Radio Nottingham, pause for thoughts, that sort of stuff. Um, And then I started doing pause for thought for Chris Evans, which was just amazing and fantastic and a real privilege and an honour. And then... um, I got my first incumbency, so my first job on my own, looking after three churches and doing a chaplaincy at an FE college, a further education college. And I had a couple that came to me and said, we'd like to do something a bit different at our wedding. So we came up with the idea of doing a flash mob at that wedding, uh, which we did, and that got posted on YouTube and that that got 10 million hits. That went viral on YouTube. Um, And then off the back of that, uh, a few TV companies saw that and phoned me up asking me to do various things. Um, and, you know, it was one of those, you got to be as gentle as a dove and as wise as a serpent. So I turned down various things that various TV companies were trying to get me to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of my favorites was the Channel 5 idea of uh, Wacky Racers, you know, Dick Dastersley's Wacky Racers, where they wanted groups That's of right. groups of themed um employees to race in cars from london to brighton so they wanted hairdressers in a a hairdryer shaped car they wanted uh, doctors in a stethoscope shaped car and they wanted vicars in a church shaped car to race from london to brighton i thought that might not be the most glorifying thing for the for for jesus christ so i decided against that one um so uh, we 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 got a call from Gogglebox, and Gogglebox said, "Would you like to be part of this?" We knew the show, and what we loved about the show was the diversity. Was the snapshot. Of our nation as a place of people of all different backgrounds colors income beliefs you know and i thought this is a good it's a good program and it would be a good thing to have somebody on there who is a christian who is unembarrassed about their faith who can talk in a very easy to understand way and um can be accessible, and one of the best things about Gogglebox is when people went, "Yeah, but you're not really a vicar, are you? Because you're not like a proper one." And I, I know exactly <laughs> what people meant. and
1: like, did you at the time, or like at what point along the journey with it, did you know, "Oh, this is becoming a thing now. Like, I'm, I'm going from being." this you know kind of person that's done a little bit of radio in the background to now actually i'm going to be kind of very much a foreground of the you know, picture of what it looks like to be a vicar or you know reverend in the church or someone with a faith in in the media you know, was there a turning point kind of moment where you noticed that something had changed
0: yeah well gogglebox were really interesting because they wouldn't let us do any other media their their exclusivity rules are quite tight because obviously the the joy of the show is that you are sat on your sofa watching telly like everybody else they don't want you popping up on good morning britain and you know loose women and things like that they want you to be one of the one of the people that watches telly not on the telly which you can totally understand from the fourth wall perspective Um, but um, there was a moment when a friend of mine so where as as women vicars we're really used to people stopping us in the street and saying you remind me of that vicar of Dibley we're really used to that all right. and it doesn't matter whether you're tall, short, fat, thin every female vicar gets that comparison and it was when a friend of mine who's a woman vicar phoned me and said it happened and somebody had stopped her in the street and said you remind me of that vicar of God." box and that was the moment when I thought oh this is a thing isn't it this is a you know you you now become yeah. you know, not I'm not I'm like some great example of women clergy or anything like that um, but actually you become some sort of focus for that you become some sort of emblem of all women Clergy, and it was it was that it was that moment when I thought, oh yeah, I need to take this. I mean, I, I, I don't get me wrong, I took Gogglebox very seriously. You know, I knew exactly what I was doing in terms of PR for the church. I knew exactly what we didn't stumble yeah. into it. I didn't wake up one morning and go, oh yeah, that sounds like a laugh. Do you know what I mean? I, I we had thought and prayed about it. I wrote a theological reflection on it. I thought we worked on a big long list of fours and against and why we might do it, and why we might not do it. So you know, it's it, it's quite deliberate. It's not. I don't just stumble from one thing to the next. And then the, I guess the bigger decision for me was um, 18 months ago when I resigned my full-time parish. So, that you know, I resigned my stipend and I went freelance. So the collection plate no longer pays for me. The licence fee does. And I we made that decision to, uh, to uh, say, you know, no pension, no sick pay, no income from the church, yeah. no stipend, made my family homeless said, right, we're moving out of the vicarage, we've got to find somewhere to live, because we were so clear that this was what God was calling me to do for this season.
1: Do you think we'll ever get to a time where you are taking a stipend and you are giving a home, but you are being able to do what you're doing. Do you think we'll ever get to that point in the kind of journey of the Church of England being allowing that to actually happen, to see this as a recognized and formalized ministry?
0: I I don't know. I mean, you know, privately, the church are really kind to me and publicly they've been really kind to me, but you know, you can't, you can't, I earn enough money from what I do now, but I didn't know that 18 months ago. You know, I I mean, trying to communicate that to my congregation when they said, so what are you going to do? And I said, well, I don't really know, but God's told me to do it. So, you know, trying to communicate that... Monday morning, I would wake up and I had no idea how we were going to pay the bills or the mortgage. I was just praying that the phone would ring because that's what freelance is like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we all know that. Those of us that work in, in the media know exactly what that feels like. Um, and my husband's a violin teacher, so that's not going to pay the mortgage. You know, I knew that we... But, but at the same time, I had no, we had no worries really about that. You know, it it, it was perfectly, it was, you know, because God's called you to do it. So why would you worry too much? But um, I i think what's going to, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. Who knows what God's going to call us to next. But I wonder whether actually we'll see more of this um, people tent making. So earning a crust from other other forms of ministry rather than the formalised vicaring that we we recognize more clearly so i i i don't know is the short answer i'm very willing to go back into parish but god needs to tell me to do that it needs to be a really clear call because at the yeah. moment this is my parish and this is this is currently where i'm talking about jesus in the marketplace
1: and one of the, the most prominent ways you've been doing that recently is on the the recent bbc2 show the pilgrimage uh, just tell us a little bit about how that came about and just give give listeners if they've not had a chance to watch it yet obviously and go see it on the iplayer just a little bit about the background of the show and where it came from
0: so um i've got a fantastic agent who is just brilliant 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 and totally understands um what we call that we call it the mission um so the idea that oh, do I think anyone's going to fall on their knees in front of Masterchef and give their life to Jesus because they've seen me cook a soufflé? Of course not. Do I think they might feel a bit warm about the church? Yes. That's all I'm after. I'm not after, you know, I don't I'm not naive in this. And you know, and I don't flatter myself to think that my face on TV or my voice on radio is going to make people see some sort of light or revelation, but they might feel a little bit warmer about the structures of the church and the organization of the church which might make it easier for them to make contact later down the line that's the aim that's the aim um so my agent phoned me um, and she's great and she phoned me and said this has come in like she does and i said oh that sounds great and it, and of course what's really interesting is the different celebrities they build it to them in different ways so to ed Byrne, who is mr walker mr fell walker they bid they they pitched it at him as a walking thing. And of course, because I'm not a walker, as we've as we as you'll discover on the show, and um, they pitched it to me as a faith thing. And as a there'll be loads of great food and drink, loads of fabulous company, you'll have a right laugh. And I'm sold. And they went, oh by the way, there's a bit of walking. And I went, oh that'll be fine. A bit of walking's fine. I can do a bit of walking. Um
1: Yeah, yeah. I I walk to work. I can I can fit that in. (laughs) Do
0: you know what I mean? The trouble is about being a Christian and being middle class. I mean, you know, I'm middle class by profession, not by birth. So this is all relatively new to me. But you say you don't swim. You say you don't ski. You say you don't play video games. People go, "All right, okay." You say in Christian circles, you say you don't walk. People look at you like you've just, you know. Gone around the house on Christmas Day and knocked over the tree. It, it's just you know they can't. It doesn't <laughs> compute for middle class Christians that you don't like fell walking. They're just like what you know. I don't like walking. I don't like it. It's boring. It's hard work, and the views aren't even that great. Um, I like swimming. I like horse riding. I like playing video games. I like watching telly. You know. So it 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 was horrible and hideous, and I hated hated the walking so much but i really like the people
1: <laughs> i mean the, the your hatred of the walking does come through fairly strongly in the first couple of episodes so i think um, that what yeah those those watching will know it what's the point
0: what's the point of walking up that there's a road <laughs> there's a road and buses why, why are we walking when we can get a car you know i i just don't get it i just don't get the physical act of walking and that whole narrative of hardship brings you closer to god what a load of rubbish Jesus suffered on the cross, so I don't have to. (laughs)
1: <laughs> certainly uh, yeah i think we certainly kind of get your your uh, love of the the uh the spirituality of it but not necessarily the physicality of it as as you go through the show and obviously a number of the other participants on the show did kind of see it from very different ways i mean like just tell us a little bit about some of those conversations that you had whilst you know kind of on the walk and the the, the things that you saw other people learning and you know, kind of their faith journeys evolving what was that like to yeah witness? well
0: i mean of course of course it's it's for telly so you've got a camera in your face the whole time so actually Actually, the most interesting conversations happened off camera. The most honest, real stuff happened when they'd finished rolling for the day because we were all so exhausted by the time they'd finished you know, getting our pieces to camera and all that sort of stuff. Actually, the really interesting stuff happens after a couple of bottles of wine sat outside a bar, doesn't it? That's We all know that. Um, it, it, yeah, it was fascinating. What was, what was really challenging and tricky for me is because I was the dog collar on it, is I found myself coming into bat for faith a lot of the time. So there were two of us that professed to be Christians, myself and Heather Small, and there was a good clump of agnostics, um, and then and then a couple of atheists as well. Um what was really interesting for me was those who profess not to believe, who profess to be from an atheist perspective, were by and large from a Roman Catholic background and had been cradle Catholics, really immersed in it, particularly Ed Byrne, who had um you know, had grown up in the Roman Catholic Church, altar boy, you know, first communion, all that sort of stuff, um, and then sort of rejected that in adulthood, and just seeing the the damage that had been done because he'd always felt like he couldn't question, like to question was to doubt, um, and it because you understand everybody else's context in the context of your own. myself, I wasn't brought up in a church family you know we weren't taken to church as kids we were christened as babies but i only started uh, finding my faith in my teens um and so i don't have any of that history don't have any of that baggage you know it never occurred to me that you couldn't question scripture it never occurred to me that you couldn't argue with stuff um so you know you start to see yourself sometimes i always thought oh it's such a shame i wasn't brought up going to church and actually in this context with ed i thought i was actually on a front footing because I found it myself, which I think is really interesting.
1: Yeah, you had that opportunity to kind of you know, navigate for your own way. I mean, I, I came from the same thing, and I think that I often have that conversation with people.
0: And, of course, what, what invariably happened was the per- people that I got on best with were the people that don't believe, you know, which is kind of right and good, isn't it? Because that's sort of what I'm about, really. You know, and, you know, I... Present company acceptive. I've always preferred the people that don't go to church to the people that do. You know, the it's it. That's sort of what I'm about: pioneer evangelism and talking and PRing, and that's kind of the gig, isn't it? So that's good.
1: <laughs> so you could argue that, you know, there's probably a missing one of, yeah, you know, we've got teachers, you know, pastors, evangelists, PR people should have been in that list.
0: Yeah, I think I think, you know, you you play to your callings and your strengths and, you know, we we're very I would say that I've experienced some sort of reservation around using things like PR for Jesus and, you know, making Jesus famous and all those kind of phrases. People go, oh, I'm not sure about that. And people are very sceptical about words like fame and celebrity and you're not allowed to own it. You know, so I had a guy on Twitter the other day saying to me, you need to be very careful about calling yourself a celebrity, Kate. Actually, it's the people that call me that, but if that's the label and I can use that for Jesus, then I'm going to, of course I am. Why wouldn't I? I'm going to use everything i can because you know one one day i'm gonna have to stand in front of him and he'll say what did you do in my name and i want to have a big long list i want to say settle yourself down because i've got a few things to talk talk to you about you know and i want to use the best and the worst and i want to say i got this right i got that i do too many eulogies for people where all i have to say is they like crosswords the vicar at my funeral i want people to i want him to tell people to bring their sandwiches to have a toilet break halfway through because I want to have done plenty of stuff.
1: Yeah, they'll need some time to get through it all. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely you know and it's fine, you know i'm a john 10 10 girl all the way through oh, cut me down the middle and he says life in all its fullness and it's you know this is my ministry i i'm not holding myself up as some sort of savior of the church of england we've already got a savior we don't need another one you know but this is my ministry and this is what my ministry looks like this is what gets me out of bed in the morning what's yours look like tell me about yours and yours might be the flower arranging or the you know the preaching to millions or it might be the um, and there are no less or greater ministries it's just what you're called to do get on and do it and when you call to something else go and do that
1: Well, so one of the last things I want to just talk to you about is obviously one of the, in this month's show we're talking a lot about kind of the idea of retreat and rest and a lot of that was spurred by this kind of idea of what I thought watching the pilgrimage might be about about this kind of getting away from it all and engaging with kind of nature <laughs> how do you how do you kind of fit rest into your life when it is so busy Are you, do you have tactics and hacks to kind of get away from the you know twitter and you know kind of the, the phone always ringing. Like, how do you fit rest in around that schedule, particularly being freelance when you've always got to basically, you, you want to try and say yes to as much as possible, right? W- w- how does that fit into your life day to day?
0: Well, I, I'm i always a bit hesitant really because I think, I think we've got to be really careful because rest looks like different things to different people. So in, I would argue that in Christianity, there is a prejudice of introvertism. So rest for... When I talk to people that are very holy, for them, rest looks like silence and solitude and countryside and being alone. Now, rest doesn't look like that for me. But because we have this prejudice of introvertism in the church, where we say silence is holier than noise, where we say being alone is holier than being with people. Um, I would argue that it's OK for it to look like different things to different people. So I... I'm not a, it shouldn't surprise you or anybody else listening that I am not a a weeks long silent retreat kind of gal. That is not my thing. (laughs) It's surprising, isn't it? I know, right? Um, (laughs) And because I am an extreme extrovert, I find my rest and relaxation in different ways. So um, lots of swimming. So I can go for a swim for 30 minutes and that will restore me, I would argue, as much as it might for someone who goes away for three days of a silent retreat. Three days of silent retreat would just leave me feeling and exhausted and stressed and angry so it's not for me so you find like anything find your thing so I do lots of watching te- I love box sets and watching telly just completely zoning out putting my jammers on that sort of stuff nice glass of wine I love film I love going to the cinema because the cinema is brilliant because you're there for two hours and you don't talk so I would call that silence that silence for me because I'm not talking, so that's silence. You know, it, it, it looks like different things to different people, but what we seem to have, especially in the Church of England, I would argue, is a prejudice of introvertism. So what we need to do is continually embrace the fact that God is all things to all people, you know, introvert, extrovert, male, female, you know, it, 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 there's not one right type to do this. So find your thing and do it. Um. So, you know, I have really lovely holidays. I have great holidays. We always have a great holiday. We always make sure. But this year we're doing two weeks in Orlando, Florida, at all the theme parks. That will be amazing. Now that sounds like hell on earth to other people. To me, that's the best holiday ever, right? So, it, you know, it doesn't have to look. You know, someone once said to me, <laughs> As a spiritual director I had once, I got a new spiritual director after this. You know, if I walk into a spiritual director's office and there's a bowl of stones and a candle and Rublev's trinity in the, on the wall, I'm out of there. I'm not interested in bowls of stones and candles. What I want is pot of tea and a piece of cake and for me to talk for two hours at you. That's what I want, that's how I'm going to work this out. <laughs> so my spiritual director at the moment, I can see him physically bracing himself when I arrive at his office. He's like, right, okay, here we go. You know, it, it, it's but it's it's different. So for me, rest and relaxation is a really good holiday, Um, really good spiritual direction. I eat a lot of cake. I go to a lot of tea shops. I watch a lot of telly.
1: And not a lot of walking, I assume.
0: <laughs> not no walking. I swim. I love to swim, you know. Uh, but the, the idea, you know, the idea that I would go on a silent retreat for three days would fill me with the most fear and stress, and it wouldn't do it for me at all, you know. A spa day, going to going to Eden Hall Spa and having a spa and a facial and a uh, you know a full body massage, yes, lovely. Great. So, you know, I just I think that we just need to be really careful about fitting people into boxes that we say, oh, rest and relaxation looks like this. Because from what my reading of scripture is, is that when we were created in the Genesis, in the Genesis narrative, you know, whether you believe that literally, literally or figuratively, the first thing we did after God created the world is we rested with God. Now, that looks like different things for different people. So as long as your rest is with God, then it can take whatever form you like, whether that's jumping out of an aeroplane or sitting in a convent with 16 nuns. (laughs)
1: well that sounds like a great place to uh, kind of go and do whatever rest it feels like for for everybody else
0: make a full i'm gonna go make a full cooked english breakfast sit down have a cup of tea and watch the next episode of rupaul's drag race that's my wasting relaxation for the next hour so
1: (laughs) i wish i could say i had the same thing lined up for the rest of the day but sadly not but kate it's been very restful. kate thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us cheers thanks there to the reverend kate botley you can check her out every sunday morning on bbc radio 2 on good morning sunday and go back and watch the episodes of the pilgrimage on the bbc iplayer i can assure you you will get a lot out of it Now, up next on the show, I am really pleased to introduce you to someone that I found particularly helpful in my spiritual walk recently, Dr. John Kessler. Dr. John wrote a book recently called The Radical Pursuit of Rest, looking at this idea not just that we should go and pursue rest radically, try saying that three times, but we should actually look at the idea of rest itself being a radical endeavor in 21st century life. For those of us working in the media and particularly those that have busy, frantic lives trying to balance work, life, church, and everything else, I think this is a message that we all need to digest and hear very clearly. I spoke to Dr. John last week about rest and how he first got interested in the subject for himself.
2: Hi, I'm John Kessler. I'm the author of The Radical Pursuit of Rest. I currently serve as a faculty member at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, Illinois. Pretty much all of my books are sort of mode of self-therapy, and they grow out of issues that I am dealing with in my own life or wrestling with in the life of the church. And for quite a while, I had been bothered about the way, as a worshiper, I felt like the church was, in a sense, kind of treating us, that you sort of got the sense when you were attending worship that if you weren't doing something else in addition to that, if you weren't adding value to whatever the church was doing then you really don't have any value as a worshiper and uh it seemed to me just looking at the overall mentality that there was this sort of production mindset that i found really uh it it just didn't ring true to me and so i I started to think about it and and reflect on the nature of rest just for my own sake and that's the, that kind of uh, theological reflection was the basis uh, out of which the book developed.
1: Uh, so tell us a little bit more about what you kind of found in the, the thinking as you pursued this. You know, what, does, what does the radical pursuit of rest really look like uh, for, for those who are disciples today? What, what should we be going after in your view? Well, it I think it is a reaction
2: against the mindset of the age in which we currently live. That is, we live in an age where leisure is an obsession on the one hand, but rest is really hard to find. In fact, if you look at a lot of what we do to find leisure, it's exhausting to us. And in the church in particular, there's this kind of mindset that difficulty is a virtue and work, instead of being a means to an end, has kind of become an end in itself. And I, I see this in real contrast with the root promise that Jesus gives in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, where he invites people to come to him to find rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And yet he also promises a yoke with that. So this rest first of all, is a, is a vocation, it, it is a calling, and it begins with God. It doesn't really, it's, before it is a discipline, rest is a gift, it's something that we receive, so that the very first work of rest is to cease from our own effort. Fundamentally, it's ceasing from our own effort to receive the gift of Christ and the righteousness that comes from him. And so all of our experience of rest grows out of that, that Jesus has done everything for us to bring us into a right relationship with God. And it, it's only after that that it
1: becomes a, a practice and a discipline. You, you talk about this idea of kind of letting go and kind of letting God, <laughs> yeah, kind of letting yeah. God kind of come in. And, but so much of our kind of modern Digital life in many cases, and you speak about this in the book about kind of living with uh, pursuing rest in kind of the digital age. So much of that is about showing up. So much of about is about output. Yeah. And and for many of our listeners, obviously they're you know, working in media or content or advertising or these different areas. It's it's all about the work. It's all about the output. So how do you kind of help? you know, people reconcile that call to rest um, that is that biblical view with the modern digital era. How can we, you know, kind of live with these two things in our lives in a, a happy balance?
2: On the one hand, uh, we're not going to go back to a pre-digital age. So we do have to learn to manage our lives with this uh, uh, constant interruption, you know, and I, and I feel like if you look at Jesus' ministry in his life, there were, there were times when Jesus intentionally separated himself from the crowd. You know, he took the disciples and he went off to a, a quiet place or a desert place. Our problem is that we take the crowd with us, you know, at, at any moment, pretty much anybody that I'm connected to can push a little button and I get an announcement and, I, and I, I'm like Pavlov's dog, you know, as soon as I hear that noise i i need to check who who texted me or emailed me or what's happening you know in social media which means that i have become conditioned to this constant background noise in my life and i really have to go counter that to that first of all if i'm going to if i am going to find that space where uh you know where where i can remove the things that are distracting me from god it's not going to be automatic. I I really do have to take some uh, uh, steps to uh, uh, to clear the air, and sometimes it's you know mechanically it's it's not rocket science. It's kind of simple. You just turn it off. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? <laughs> well, that's what I, I find in my own experience that it's easy to do in terms of the technology. It's hard to do in terms of my own angst. You know, because what I find is if if my internet goes down if my uh uh you know if my email is if i i have a place that my wife and i like to go to where we the only way we can get internet is if we could rob from our neighbors you know if they don't have a protected and apparently the only person who you know who had one that wasn't protected moved so so i go there i don't have an internet connection without taking some steps to find one and i find that I get anxious. It doesn't really take very long for me to start feeling anxious, and of course, once I actually do reconnect, I find that it really wasn't worth it. <laughs> there wasn't really that much that I that I couldn't have missed. So I think you know, first of all, there's there's a sense where we have to begin to be countercultural. I, the, I think the other issue that you're describing with the kind of profession, you know, people who are in the media uh, there are other forces in play too. There's tremendous pressure to put yourself out there. You know, I, I find this as a writer, one of the, one of the things that I do the worst is, uh, marketing myself. I'm, I'm just I terrible at it. I, I, you know, and I like, I want to write the books. I don't really want to market the books, but, But, you know, but there's a lot of pressure then to kind of get out there. You're in competition with other people. And I'm assuming that's, you know, true with journalists in general. You're all sort of scrambling for the same stories. And uh, I think that adds another dimension to it that on the one hand, you have to do your job. But on the other hand, I'm thinking of a, a wonderful quote by Wendell Berry, where he says, There's no denying that competitiveness is a part of life, that that it does create uh, a certain uh, uh, value. But he says, it's equally obvious that no individual can lead a good and satisfying life under the rule of competition and that no community can succeed except by limiting somehow the competitiveness of its members. Barry says, one cannot maintain one's competitive edge if one helps other people. So there is this thread in uh, the Christian life that really goes counter to what's at the very heart of uh, many of the ways that we're living. And we really have to lay hold of that and find that space where we can pull back from that uh, stream, you know, that's just sort of carrying us
1: along with the spirit of the age. When, when you talk about, you know, pulling back, where in your own life do you to do that <laughs> how, how do you, you you mentioned kind of obviously going somewhere where maybe there's no internet but that's not something that all of us can pursue necessarily on a daily basis yeah. so w- what does that kind of pursuit of rest look like for you
2: yeah it doesn't you know i don't think it has to be really elaborate i that's one of the challenges we think like oh yeah i need to find a, like a desert island or something you know all you really need is a comfortable room i think all you really need is a good chair you know, all you need is some space, a good space. You know, there's good space and there's bad space. So, and then there's workspace, which is which can be either. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> what, workspace what, is good, and sometimes it's bad. What does good space look like? <laughs> uh, I, well, I think that's going to depend on the individual, but I, I think that is, first of all, it's usually comfortable space, whether it's indoors or outdoors. I think when it comes to rest, it's going to have to be space where you're not easily interrupted. And so, again, it may just be simply it's, it's a comfortable space where you don't take your uh, cell phone, you know, you don't take your, uh, uh, your smartphone, you don't have your computer, or you turn all of that off, and, you know, you find, a, you find some space where you can sit or walk and and first just get used to not having people uh, uh around you. So often the practice of rest is associated with some of the ancient disciplines like the discipline of silence and solitude. Now I think one of the things you'll find though if you begin to do that is that it's not comfortable at first. You know, especially if you're used to having this cushion of sound or busyness or distraction. I think a lot of times we use all of that to protect ourselves from what's what's happening in our inner lives. And so it's not like it's probably for most of us, probably not a good practice to say, okay, like I'm going to spend, I'm going to start, I'm going to spend an hour in solitude. You'll last, you know, if you're lucky, you'll last a minute before you start to you yeah. know get hives and yeah. you have to go do something so start <laughs> so- i think you know set your set a manageable goal so find some space that you you think will be comfortable give yourself 10 minutes and i think one of the first practices is just uh reacquaint yourself with god because he's already there and uh just you know just make yourself aware of your surroundings Make yourself aware of the reality of God's presence and just wait for a little bit and realize that nothing really has to happen. Uh, You don't have to have a you don't have to have a burning bush. You don't have to have a cloud of glory. You don't have to pray a prayer that's going to change the world. And when you walk out of that space, when you leave that space, you will find that the world has gone on without
1: you. Just fine because God is in control. I just wanna challenge you a little bit on this thinking around the the kind of direction towards you know, a lot of us when we talk about rest we go straight to Oh well, silence, solitude, retreating. Yeah, you know, kind of Jesus going yeah, up yes. on the mountainside, right? But yeah, for many people, yeah. particularly if you are that kind of extroverted type, you find rest in other things. Just talk about how you kind of, for those of us that you know, kind of a natural disposition is exactly what you're describing of being, yeah, you know, kind of going into a small room or you know, kind of a dark space or being out on alone is the worst way of us kind of feeling, you know, kind of restful, you know, where, where people draw their energy from others. Um, and many, obviously, in this profession, yes. kind of work with that just talk about a little bit about kind of like what you see and how rest can take different forms other than just the kind of the silence.
2: Yeah. I think that, you know, I think that on the one hand, you certainly have different kinds of personalities. So you have the introverted personality who for them, uh, solitude and silence is energizing. And then you have the extroverted personality and for them, you know, solitude and silence is d- demanding. It's draining. They need to be, they are energized by being with people and I do think that, that for that kind of person to be engaged with people is a, a mode of, can be a mode of rest. You know, I, I think the issue is whether, what's the aim? I think the essence of finding rest is that it doesn't have to be um, productive. You know, so I, I think people who engage in friendships and relationships and conversation, that becomes an, it's an end in itself. It, you, it doesn't have to tend towards something. Uh, you can just spend time together. I, I think that certainly is uh, legitimate as a mode of experiencing rest. I, I also think, though, that and, uh, that for all, all of us, there are probably some disciplines that are contrary to our personality style or our nature that there's value in practicing uh, occasionally I don't think they're going to be foundational to us you know so the person who's an introvert sometimes needs to discipline themselves to engage and the person who's an extrovert sometimes needs to discipline themselves to disengage to find a kind of a space in their experience with God to find a kind of a, 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 a you know, a a margin that they wouldn't have otherwise. But no, I think you're totally right in what you're saying
1: let's just maybe kind of steer towards talking a little bit about the way in which you kind of talk about this in the book um that not just only that it's that we have to pursue rest in a kind of radical fashion like like you say going off on a 7-day silent retreat or something for most of us which would certainly personally probably be a significant chore
2: <laughs> let me clarify that i actually don't um i am not actually advocating that people pursue uh, a lifestyle of radical behavior in modes of rest. So so I'm really not arguing that saying that, you know, what you need to do is you need to be like St. Anthony, go live in a cave, you know, redu- get rid of all your stuff. Uh, when I call it the radical pursuit of rest, what I'm really saying is that the whole notion of rest is radical compared to the spirit of the age, you know, the the, the spirit of the age, which is production oriented, which says that your value is shaped by what you produce. The, The thought that really, you don't need to produce anything in order to have value where God is concerned. That, I think, is what is radical. And I think that the pursuit of rest then really takes place in the ordinary context. It takes place in everyday life it really isn't uh uh, that you have to strip away everything in your life get rid of everything that either
1: is important to you or that you love maybe just in summary as we kind of close could you maybe help our listeners those that want to kind of get a more restful place in their life where would you point them to in terms of either scripture or advice or resources to kind of better pursue this rest, which is, as you put it, a, a radical thing to do today.
2: I think uh, the first place that I would point them to is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, to me, that's the, uh, the core promise of rest, where Jesus invites all who labor and are heavy laden to come to him and he promises to give them rest. And then I would say, within that promise, in, a, in effect, Jesus is calling us to take up rest as a vocation. take my yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So this is, a, this is you know the yoke, if you think about the image, it's an implement that was put on a beast of burden, and it was enable them, it was to enable them to carry the load. Well, Jesus is the implication there is that we're, we already have a, we already are bearing a yoke and Jesus is offering us a different yoke. And his yoke is the yoke of rest. So I think your starting place is to recognize that rest is it, it begins as a location, not a discipline. So you start with Christ. You recognize that Jesus has done everything that needs to be done in order to put us in a right relationship with God. And then you begin to you begin to think about what that means for me to have, be in Christ, to be living uh, the Christian life out of the strength and the grace of Christ. Um, in terms of resources, you know, I, I think there's a there's a wonderful uh, author, uh, theologian by the name of Joseph Pieper, who really helped me to understand these, and he's he's written a number of books. Uh, P-I-E-P-E-R J-O-S-E-F P-I-E-P-E-R and he's written a number of books on uh, his is sort of the core theological text on the idea of rest he's also written about happiness and contemplation
1: And he'd be a great place to start if you wanted to do some more uh, reading on the subject. There's also a a great book by a a certain Dr. John Kostler as well, which I've heard is is pretty pretty smart on that one. So I recommend to you all listening, uh, The Radical Pursuit of Rest. Uh, John, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, spend with us and talk about this uh, on this month's episode of Signal. It's been a real pleasure, James. Thank you. to john kessler there you can find out more about his book the radical pursuit of rest where all good books are sold i thoroughly commend it to you well that wraps up this episode of signal a little bit of a different one hopefully a more restful one for all of you in this post easter haze if you want to get in touch with the show, we always want to hear your comments and you can do that over on Twitter. You can find us at The MediaNet with the hashtag Signal to let us know about the show. We'd love it if you would rate and review the show over on Acast, SoundCloud, itunes podcast app or wherever else you're getting your podcasts and we hope that you would also give us an email if you want to get in touch with the show or send us something that we should know about it's signal at the medianet.org that's it from me i'm your host james Poulter. you can find me on twitter at james polter or anywhere across the internet on those handles and i look forward to rejoining you all with sam and ruth and the rest of the crew next month on signal from the medianet for now bye